Think you hate marketing? Think again. Here on the Marketing Chat Podcast, I share practical, relatable tips to make marketing easy and fun. I'm Kelly, a marketing strategist, Squarespace website designer, and founder of the Women Podcasters Academy. I'll be breaking down big ideas into actionable steps so you can get moving with your marketing with way less stress and way more fun. This episode is brought to you by HoneyBook, everything your business needs to get it done. Manage projects, book clients, send invoices, and get paid all on HoneyBook. Use my link in the show notes to get 50% off your first year with HoneyBook. Do you spend more time acquiring customers than keeping the ones you've got? Today, I'm interviewing Phil Coley on customer retention, why it's so important, and some tips to keeping more of the customers you already have. Phil Coley is a British entrepreneur dividing his time between his home in France and business interests in the UK. Phil has a background in sales and marketing for over 30 years, from starting selling advertising for a regional newspaper to consultancy positions with some of the UK's leading contact centers. Phil actually became a very young entrepreneur at the age of 12, creating a local free ads flyer in his local village and selling advertising space. The flyer had to be put together with sticky letters and photocopied. No digital publishing in those days. Over the years, Phil has set up and sold businesses, experienced highs and lows, even losing it all. Today, Phil closely works with his business partner, Mark Pierce, building successful businesses and working with other business owners to scale up growth and ultimately create successful businesses. Welcome, Phil. I am so happy to have you here today. Oh, Kelly, it's, it's amazing to be here and thank you for having me on your amazing show. Oh, thank you. I'm looking forward to this interview. Customer retention is just such an important topic and people, um, I think, misplace their focus sometimes. So this is going to be great. But first, I'm really interested in your background, your life story. It is so fascinating. So would you kick us off by telling us a little about your background and the important role that athletics has played in it? Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And yeah, thank you very much for the very kind introduction as as well. And when in the introduction, you sort of touched on my, I suppose, my early entrepreneurial day, starting a little local newspaper, little free ads paper at the age of 12, which I suppose sort of gave me the the idea that maybe I could do a bit of selling. I, I, I don't know. But I think my passion has always been sport. And you, you touched on athletics there. So athletics and soccer, as we call it in the UK and rugby and and other sports have been heavily involved in that, and particularly at a junior age, have played to a high level. And sport always fascinated me. But when I was going through the equivalent of, of high school, I just wasn't quite ready for the next step. And I, probably academically as well, I probably just wasn't mature enough. So I ended up um, finishing high school and going straight into a job that was selling advertising. And that, that was my sort of first baptism. I literally left school on the Friday and started a job on the Monday. And mm-hmm. It gave me three really good years of selling and I had amazing training. And, and in those days, you know, selling on the telephone, the only thing you had in front of you was a, a directory or a newspaper or a yellow pages just to trawl through and just pick up the phone. You had nothing that you have today. So it gave me a amazing training. And from that point, I um I did three years of that really well. And then um, a sports psychology and sports science degree came up at um, St. Mary's mm-hmm. University in London. And I was like, 
that's really what I want to do. I'm fascinated by people and I love sport. And it was one of the first degrees to, to come out in the UK. And the US had been probably 20 years ahead of, of the UK at that stage. So that gave me the real great opportunity to dive into understanding how people work in sport at the highest level and really understanding you know, the, the traits of high-performing individuals and high-performing teams. And I suppose combining that with my business background, it it always stayed in the back of my mind what what to do. And and I suppose for, for me, it was a twist of fate on the side of a squash court at a European Championships where somebody tapped me on the shoulders and said, oh, I hear you. You're a sports scientist and you specialize in sports psychology. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I do that. And it was a mother of a junior player. And she said, oh, I work for a big retailer and maybe you want to just come and do a little talk. And I thought, yeah, I can come and talk about what I do. And what really turned out was that she had planned a sales conference and wanted me to come and talk for half the day to a team of a hundred people. And wow. um, <laughs> I was OK. I could handle myself in talking to people, but um, I had to pull in sales as well. And luckily I had that, that background. And I suppose that was then the start of my corporate career. I suddenly realized I could earn a lot more money doing that than I was stood on the side of a sports pitch um, helping people to get better. Wow. Oh my gosh. So then what did you do specifically when you moved into that corporate career in sales? Yeah. I mean, I, because I've got that sales background, so talking to sales managers and being able to relate it to, to sport in, in that particular instance was like, Oh, I could do this. And, and I was so naive at that stage because the, 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 the person who engaged me to do it sort of set a figure for the day, would this be all right? And I was like, I'd have charged you probably a third of that. So I didn't say anything. I was like, yeah, that, that's about right. And, and I suddenly realized that I had some worth because I've got a sales background and obviously the, the great things I've done in sports psychology and 92 Olympic Games and obviously coming to amazing over to Atlanta in 96. So I had I had something about me, um, which was there. And, and another twist of fate was um, Telewest uh, as a cable company was coming into the UK and cable in the in the mid 90s was was suddenly a big thing. And Telewest opened up some call centers and they were looking for to develop their training scheme because they had a lot of people knocking on doors saying, hey, we're putting cable in. Do you want to buy it? And they they actually saw that call centers could be the new way forward. And again, learning some of the things from the States and somebody who knew somebody said, oh, you should, should speak to, to Phil. And somebody spoke to me and I had a weird and wonderful phone call. And they said, oh, I understand you used to sell advertising, you used to be a sales manager and selling on the phone and et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, yeah, what's what's this all about? And they said, look, we're setting this thing up called a call center we need someone who knows how to sell on the phone to help us set it up and i was like yeah okay i'll, I'll do that so basically I, I got into call centers when they really came into the uk in a, in a big way and i i did the telewest gig for about 18 months and then suddenly realized that i probably got expertise that not many other people had at that stage about setting up outbound call centers so I started to work with some of the big players um, who were outsourcers and also um, in-house as well. So I was responsible for Microsoft in terms of their telesales coming into the UK, um, also Mercury, so cable and wireless when they were coming in. So I suddenly was at the, the forefront of this, developing teams, using my sports psychology coaching background along with the sales background and was like, OK, this is good, making good money. And um, yeah, no, it, was, it, was, it was amazing to be teams within teams at, at something which was just grew and grew and just suddenly to be an expert it was it just catapulted me into into a completely new arena right that's amazing to have been there when all this was just taking off and and you just happened to have those skills at that right moment 
That's awesome. Yeah, so amazing. How did you go then from training salespeople to starting your own sales consultancy? I'd obviously sold from my, my early career. And then obviously I was I was training and I'd really recognized that there was this whole boom in outbound sales. And it didn't matter if it was B2C, which it predominantly was, but then it was also B2B. So with my the the Microsoft project, that was outbound to businesses. So that was 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 B2B. And it was a little bit wild west in the UK at that stage. There were call centers popping up. There were people doing selling. And I was like, yeah, okay, I can consult on this. And that brings in good money. And I thought, I'm going to invest in something. So set up an outbound call center. It was very much a boutique bureau for uh, B2B, but high tickets. Um, set up that call center. And then, fully enough, one of my colleagues about two years later from a, a previous one had started up a similar one, but um, much more on a, on a B2C basis. And he said, oh, we're expanding. We've got a VC coming in. We've got a load of investment. He just basically put a figure on the table and said, we want to buy your, buy your outsourcer out. I was like, do you know what? Let's go for it. And at that stage, you know, I trained up and we'd been trading for just coming up to three years. We've got some amazing team. So I was training this team. They were doing great things. And I was obviously selling that to bigger companies as well. So I was out, out there doing the sales for my own company. So when this offer came in, it was it was probably just too good to to refuse. And I was like, I'll take that. But with that, it gave me the ability then to look at my skills. And I then went into actually selling the telephony systems that go into call centers. So these were oh, big wow. ticket sellings. And actually, it was for a US company. So my links with the US seem to continue in my whole story. So it was a big um, a big software company in the US. We're coming into the, into the UK. And so I came into a national sales manager for that particular uh, group selling in telephony systems to insurers to banks to big call centers so maybe i was poaching court team and gamekeeper or the other way around but i Mm. knew what it was all about so i knew how call centers worked i knew how they went and i knew the the elements of all the technology um so i was really suitably trained and experienced to get in and sell that so that was probably Mm. my first experience they were selling you know i was selling systems that were you know, two or three million pounds. So in those mm-hmm. days, that would have been four and a half, five million dollars. So big systems. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, that was great. Mm. That's awesome. And clearly, you were just a born entrepreneur. You had that entrepreneurial spirit your whole life. So were you just itching to go out on your own during all of this time? Or did you get to the point where you're like, okay, I have to go do my own thing? Um, I think I think I had been lucky because I was consulting. So in, in a mm-hmm. way, I was was working for myself, but I was part of a bigger team when you go into consulting a bigger bigger company. But I think, you know, when when I was was doing the software sales, I was still enjoying it, but I still missed carving out, you know, what I was doing. So, you know, mm-hmm. again, I was I was earning earning good money. And for me, it was right, what's what's the next thing for for me to do? And and I knew that that whole passion about sales and and I've picked up a fair bit of marketing along the way. And, and as you well know, Kelly is, you know, what is marketing? What is sales? I mean, crikey, it's such a big subject. We could be here for days, let alone hours talking about it. But I, I really knew that I had that, that B2B piece and I could help people in a B2B space um, actually grow. And my career then really took, um, I was like, right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to really offer what people want. So I'd done the consultancy and I was, was at the time that I was, yeah, I think video is going to be the new thing. 
And I just, again, I, I mean, I've had a number of twists and turns and luck in, in, in my time. I still believe you make your own luck. You just have to be in the right place, the right time and people buy from people. But I had the experience of working for a digital company on a consultancy um, in London. And we were doing a, a series of interviews and I, I just put it all together because I was selling into these clients. But we had a vi videographer turn up and we we're supposed to have the guy who was doing the interviews and everything didn't turn up. And we got five or six big players in London, big insurers. So I ended up not doing the camera, but I ended up doing the interviewing because, as you can tell, I can obviously talk a bit. And um, I was like, I think video is going to be the big thing. So I was like, mm, OK, so I set up an agency and we were about sales driving on the B2B. But we decided our calling card was going to be video and we were going to use video to get in. So we get in, do video. And within that, we're chatting with clients and they go, oh, we're thinking about doing this campaign. And I said, well, maybe you need to think about this and that. They were like, OK, so you sort of know a bit about this. So I was like, yeah, funny enough. And so was able to fairly quickly build a really good consultancy, pick up some some great clients and go, yeah, this this is great. And that's when I actually made my biggest mistake in business. Um, I just took my eye off the ball and everything sort of came crashing down around me. And what was that? So I was in my naivety was this is going well. And, and I'd been pretty lucky in business. You know, I'd just been the right time. And I was like, yeah, this is going well. Let's let's keep growing, growing this. And, you know, let's 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 do these these great things. And I had a passion and I had a passion. And I was like one of those people. And we all too, too often see it was like, I think I can make my hobby into a business. Mm. And I thought this is going to be a great idea. And of course I had a successful business. I was like, oh, you know, I, I'd sort of thought I had that Midas touch. And I went naively into this business. It was a few hours away from where I was based. I had other people involved and just didn't do it right. I just mm. underestimated it and made a huge mistake in, in terms of that because I underestimated it. I thought I could do it really quickly and easy. And again, oh, it's my hobby. I must know what I'm doing. So, I mean, the, the great thing I did do is was I could sell it. And I definitely mm. sold it. The bit I couldn't do was the operational thing. So the, the cost got out of hand. And, you know, within that, the sales were amazing. But actually, it was completely unsustainable. And we got to a point within it where we just didn't have enough coming in. We'd sold it really well. But the, the particular business was in, in an ag agricultural sector. And you didn't make your, your money till later in the year. So you had to invest a lot at the beginning. And it just started to have a, a pack of cards come down. And, and I did that classic. I, I underestimated it. An entrepreneur, I think, is you've got to experience both success and failure. And yeah. there was just one moment I'd actually put a personal guarantee um, on a, a trade supply. And they mm -hmm. called that in. And by them calling it in just meant everything. Everything just came wow. to a halt and lost the business, lost home, lost everything. So that was a big lesson to me about, okay, you've got to make sure whatever you do in business, you're right. And as I said, you know, I, I never doubted my sales credentials, but actually running an operation like that, I, I didn't have the operational skills, but I had the sales skills, not the operational skills. Yeah. Yeah. So many skills and processes that entrepreneurs have to either be good at or be able to outsource and delegate right away. And it is so tough. Yeah. And especially, you know, that was a, um, not like, you know, a solopreneur service-based small little operation where you could learn it all, do it yourself or hire like a VA to do it. 
it was a much bigger thing. It sounds yeah, like so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very serious big operation. Yeah, so, yeah. oh my goodness. So I was going to ask anyway, and you already mentioned the difference between or differences between sales and marketing. So if you could discuss that, you know, quickly, because like you said, we could take up the whole episode and then some with it. You know, there are textbooks right on it. So because people do get confused about it. And a lot of times, well, so often people will say, I hate sales. I can't do sales. But as I mentioned in the description and intro to this podcast, people say they hate marketing. So can you tell us a little about the differences? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, Thank absolutely. You. I, I always think it's a, it's a great question. And actually, you just what you said there made me really think about it is when people say, oh, I don't like marketing or I don't like sales or this. I think actually, you know, and I talk about objection handling all the time, but I think that's just an objection because people don't understand it. Therefore, they're scared mm -hmm. of it and they go, oh, I don't like it. And and I can understand the scariness that, you know, for me and, you know, people laugh when I say this, but if your marketing is really good, then you probably don't need salespeople. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people go, well, how do you figure that one out? I go, well, if your marketing mm -hmm. is amazing and you're attracting the right people and they can come in and they can pick up a phone, they can go on the Internet and they can buy the product. Where's the salesperson needed? They're pre-sold. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so why do you need a salesperson? So mm -hmm. that's what I talk about people is you need to think about marketing as a way of att attracting the traffic and then converting it. And if mm -hmm. your marketing messages all the way through that process are correct and you're overcoming people's objections, then actually that's your marketing machine that's turning people into sales where you don't need salespeople. But what I do see, though, in sales, where that intervention of, of a person or a, or a process or even the technology is there will be people have questions and there will also be people that think they know they need one thing, but actually they need something else. And within that, that's where I think sales comes in. And I've, I've always been a consultative salesperson. I've always been about what does the person need and let's look at it that way. I've never been into selling boxes. That's never been my approach of just selling something to somebody for the sake of it and then walking away. And, you know, we're going to talk about retention in a moment, but for me, if you can do that selling process and you actually sell something to somebody that they do want, but with some enhancements to it, because that will make the difference to them, then to me, that's the difference with sales. The sales is really giving the customer what they want from listening to them, not just through that marketing message. And, and to me, that is the big difference. That's great. And from my perspective in marketing, the salespeople use the marketing to help in the sales process absolutely. because it, it all has to stay unified. So the marketing people, or in the case of like a solo entrepreneur, the marketing side of you takes your marketing message and then the salespeople or the sales side of you uses that message in making the sale or in the sales process yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and and it always makes them smile and it's always made me smile there's always been a battle between marketing departments and sales departments if sale if sales are going really well it's the sales department they're amazing if the sales are going bad oh marketing they're just not up to it and it, it always just makes me smile that i think true businesses who understand the synergy between sales and marketing and make them work as a team they're the most mm -hmm. successful ones. You, you, in today's age, you know, we can we can laugh about sales. You know, marketing. Do you need each other? 
today's age, you definitely need each other really yeah. more, more than ever more. And I think when you talk about business owners, is we talk a lot about seats on the bus when we're talking mm-hmm. about sales. Is and we actually use the, the 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 little motif we use is is a yellow bus, funnily enough, from the states. And we use that to say that you know within your business for your sales and marketing, you need to think about all the seats that sales and marketing seats, and can you fill them? Can you fill mm-hmm. them in house or outsource? So have you got a digital marketeer? Have you got a social media marketeer? Have you got a telemarketeer? You know where are people sat on your bus, and and who do you need in there? And I think. Today, more than ever, you just need all those skills. Yeah, very true. And you're right about the salespeople and the marketing people working together. If something isn't going right in sales, maybe the marketing message does need to be tweaked. So the salespeople need to pay attention to what's not hitting home and relay that back to the marketing people. But sometimes it could be the sales process that's not working. So that needs to be tweaked. And when marketing is working on their message, they should ask for input from sales. Hey, what's working? What isn't? And we can make those tweaks. So, yeah. Yeah, And it's it's true. And if, if I may, I think the one thing I always reflect back on sport is when I was working with high performing teams and individuals at at those really sort of world-class levels, the teams that got it right always identified when things were going well, why it's going well. Teams that weren't so good were always trying to be going, we had a really bad game and they're trying to identify where the bad game went wrong instead of looking when things go right, why did it go right? And that's the same as sales and marketing. When it's going right, mm. understand why it's going right. Just don't sit back and go, and everything's fine. Understand why it's going right. And can you make it even better than it really is right now? Great point. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah, keep working on what's going right. Do more of it. And yeah, awesome. All right. So customer retention, our topic for today. So um, yeah, most people and businesses seem to focus on customer acquisition, but it costs more money, doesn't it, than customer retention. And a lower percent, not lower percentage. I don't know how to phrase this, but um Don't you get sort of fewer, again, I may not be saying it correctly, of your sales from acquisition than from attention? Again, I may not be saying that correctly, but um, or maybe it's a higher percentage of your current customers make sales again than from the customers or the would-be customers that you're approaching. So why is customer retention so important? I think the the first thing to say is about understanding the lifetime value of a customer. And that's where I would normally start on this particular conversation. And too many people don't look at the lifetime value of a customer. They just Mm -hmm. look at, right, let's get a customer on, let's get them into the cycle and see what happens. But if you start to go, right, if we are going to spend X to get a customer in, what's the maximum revenue we can we can get out of that customer and it should never be about one transaction and i've got i've got a couple of really interesting examples to share on that in a moment but the problem is everybody is focused on got to get new customers we've got to get more revenue we've got to do this it's like that is true but if you take a step back and you look at the people you have as customers they are actually the easiest people to sell to again or get more revenue out of and people forget that both small businesses and large businesses forget that spend so much money on the acquisition they forget the retention 
So when you look at the retention, it's about staying in touch with that customer. And the thing that I find that's 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 annoying, and actually you see it all the way around the world, is lots of companies, big and small, will give introductory offers to get a new customer in. And actually your existing customers go in, why is that? Yeah. And for me, if you've got the right sales proposition, you should never have to discount. You really shouldn't. And, and people say to me, surely you should discount. And I go, if your product is what somebody wants, and you, there's an argument that you know there's transactional products and sometimes there's marketplaces, and I, I get all of those arguments. But for me, if your product is superior and your product is right and you fully believe in it and it, it delivers what the customer wants and probably a bit more, they're going to buy that particular product. Because once you start to discount, then somebody's going to ask for discount again. And I see that with big corporations around the world, particularly in the, the mobile phone sector, is, you know, within that, somebody gets an offer, they're on for 12 months, 24 months, then it comes up to cancellation, and then they'll they'll ring up and they go, oh, I'm going to go, knowing that someone, oh, go on, then we'll give you another discount to stay. It's like you just create the wrong environment. And that's why they have to be focusing on acquisition all the time because they're not looking after the customer. So for any size of business, how can you retain your customer? Mm -hmm. Number one is to stay in touch with them. Number two is to make them feel proud of the product they bought from you based on mm -hmm. probably some of the marketing you're doing around it. And if you look at big brands and you even look at small brands in a local area, why do people do sponsorship? They do sponsorship because they want to get their brand out there. But sometimes it's just about brand awareness and somebody feeling an affinity with that brand. And I see that from a small business. Small businesses can, can sponsor a local soccer team or you know, a, a basketball team or whatever around the world. And somebody goes, oh, they, they do that bit for the community. And funny enough, that has something to do with retention because they go, you're investing back in. I mean, that, that's just one example, but it's about having the relationship with a customer. If a customer has enjoyed the experience, and lots of people are scared to ask this, when they've sold something to somebody, did you enjoy it? Is the product what you wanted? Does it do what you want? Because if the person goes, yeah, it's really great, you just ask them then, do you know any of your friends? Do you know other businesses that would, would want the same? They go, well, funnily enough, yeah, I was talking about your product. Because you've asked, but too many people are scared of somebody going, it wasn't quite what I wanted. And it's like, well, if it isn't what we wanted, then you can have, again, the conversation, what could we do differently? We'd really value it. And, and that's where people go wrong. They just want to go... You're in the system now. We've got various things. So for me, the retention model and the lifetime value is if it costs you £100 to get somebody in and they're going to spend £1,000 on one thing, what could their lifetime value be? So could you sell them something else for $500? Could you sell them something again for another $250 and then another $100? Could you get them into some kind of retention scheme? So you could take somebody that's cost you $100 to get them in. They spend $1,000 but their lifetime value could be $6,000. People don't understand that because they don't look in sales to go, we've got this product, what can we upsell or what can we cross-sell and how can we keep that customer? And, right. and that's what just annoys me that people don't see, the, they don't have a strategy for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Real quick about the sponsorship thing and not, I mean, small businesses can do this, you know, on a local level, you know, sponsoring a kid's team, which really does engender loyalty on a grand level, you know, Heinz ketchup. 
So they used to have the naming rights to Heinz Field, where the Pittsburgh Steelers play right here. I'm in Pittsburgh. And the naming rights just switched over to some company that everyone forgets. Uh, It's not a local company. Um, A.S. something. I don't know. I don't know. Some insurance company, holding company or something. I don't know. And everyone is really sad. And everyone's like, no, it will always be Heinz Field. I will never call it the other thing. And Heinz is the local company. And so everyone makes fun of all of the other ketchup brands. It's like, you know, no, I won't vote for you if you don't use Heinz. I won't, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're not friends if you don't use Heinz ketchup, all of this. And and so, yeah, it, it is a massive loyalty thing. And having their name on that field just amplified it so much and and once a Heinz person always a Heinz person <laughs> but it's true but that's you know that that's a great example in the, that whole marketing mix yeah. is sponsorship and as, as you say you know you can sponsor a local soccer team or you can you can sponsor a football team or whatever locally and mm-hmm. you can just scale that up and it, I think people forget that brand affinity what you mm-hmm. can do with your customers to make them feel part of you and how you're part of their community. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the ads. It's not, I mean, I remember their commercials from the 1970s and eighties, but that doesn't do it. It's, it's the loyalty thing. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, I think, I think as we, we just talk on that, I think it's also about acquisition is, is, is people remember you for your actions. So if you are reaching out and you, you are there and you're being proactive, then then people will go, yeah, you you are invested in me. And it doesn't matter if you're selling a small item or a big item, you can still look at a lifetime value of the, re, the repeat business that's that's always there and put mechanisms in place that, that make it make it easy and, and, and make it work. And if I may just share this one story, I did some work with a funeral director in the in the UK and you know, for them, they were like, well, we sort of get a customer and that's, you know, we can't really do much more on our lifetime value. And, and <laughs> but, I, you I, but you can. But you can, because I looked at it from a completely different way. And we, we added 15% onto their bottom line because I said, OK, but I said, how about this? You know, when the person's died, you know who the relations are. And why don't you every year, two or three weeks before, just send a note to say, you know, we're, we're you know, in sympathy because at this time of year, it's got to be pretty tough for you. And, you know, we're sorry about that, but we're always there and always supporting the community. And actually, they did an offer with the local florists. And they said, if you wanted to have some flowers, put them up. And they did, they did an affiliate deal. So the, the florist gave the funeral directors, uh, I think it was 18% of what's done. They had 15% on their bottom line straight off wow. just from doing that. But you also then, it also meant they did get future funerals as well because they were like, yes. that's a really nice thing. You remembered us yeah. and actually got that lovely offer of flowers. Yes, it's a sales thing. But it was also yeah. just understanding your customer mm-hmm. and lifetime value. So when people say to me, oh, lifetime value, they've had it a one-off. I'm like, that's why I use that example. Just a great yeah. example. That is perfect. Yes. The, the person who died has a family. Yeah. yeah. And if you've handled that funeral really well and you are compassionate, you show that caring. Yes, it is a sales technique, a sales process. But if they had a good experience, if the customer had a good experience, they'll remember you when another loved one dies or when a friend dies and someone asks for a recommendation. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so that leads me into a question about, or a comment about the, the retention sales techniques don't have to be quote slimy, No, you know, they don't have to feel salesy. And I use that word because, you know, so many people, again, have this thing, you know, about sales, they can be done with compassion and authenticity. And, and, and I think that's where I think a lot of people have lost their way Mm -hmm. is everybody in the last five, 10, 15 years has been trying to embrace the digital age and believing that everyone is in the digital age. And with that, this is the digital age and this is the way it's going to work and everything will change and it will become a digital um, token or digital this. And to a point, I agree with that because I think you've got to embrace the, the digital age. But actually from a, a retention perspective and not, as you said, not slimy, is I think there's a kickback on emails now. People are just like not interested in emails. People don't want to sign up anymore. They're like, oh, I'm going to go into... And people are, are used to now this thing called lead funnels they're like oh i'm not going to sign up i'm going to go into a lead funnel and and even when people have bought something they go oh here comes the email here's here's the oh spend some more money with us spend some more money with yeah. us so i think within that people have lost the way and, and the way i look at it is some things you can still do that way but you can go back to basics and you know sales has, has not changed in 2000 years and i say mm-hmm. to people you know, i learned a lot from going to markets in africa in northern africa you go to the soups and they sell like they did 2000 years ago. Nothing mm. changes. But what they do know is when you go back to the market, they'll remember exactly what you had last time. They go, ah, you're back. You wanted this. You wanted that. You wanted everything else. The same as, as good coffee shops do. But for me, I think to move away from the slimy is to go, how would you, you know, what are the things you miss or what are the things you like? And, you know, a simple card, you know, a, a simple gift, you know, be a gift card or a birthday card or a thank you card that's handwritten. Just little things that you can still do. And, and people go, well, that's a lot of time. And then I go back into the lifetime value. I go, mm-hmm. it, might co- it might take somebody in your operation three minutes to write something. It might cost you a dollar to send it. And the card might cost you $2. So it's cost you another $4. What's your cost of acquisition of a new client? And they go, yeah, okay, it's about $70. And I go, well, <laughs> there you go. It's, it's just think of the things that people like. And have a personal touch. Yeah, very true. So what are some mistakes that you see people making with client retention? Um, The number one mistake, which people do in sales and in retention, they never follow up. Mm. That's the number one. They never follow up. They, they, They never even... They never ring. They never send an email. They never send a note. They don't do anything to say, how how was it? You know, They don't mm-hmm. ask. They don't follow that up. And again, in, in a non-slimy way. They just don't follow up. That's the number one thing that I see. And the second one is, and we have spoken about it, they just send a barrage of emails. You bought from us. And as, as we mentioned earlier, you bought from us, you bought from us, you're going to buy. And then people will just unsubscribe and switch off and you'll never see them as a customer again. So I yeah. think it's either no contact or too much contact. Those are my mm. number ones and number twos where, where people get it wrong. And number three is people will put a strategy in place that they would like, not what the mm. customer would like. Those, those, are my, those are my three. Mm. That's great. Yeah, we think about ourselves as the client. And sometimes we are our own ideal client, but we really have to step back and think of our, you know, who is our true customer client and 
what do they want? And like you said earlier, look at what's working and do more of that. And if you're getting all of these unsubscribes from the constant barrage of emails, then, okay, let's re-examine that and, and see what's going on and look at the ones where we are getting clicks and sales from them and do more of that. So. I'd, I'd, I'd probably just a fourth one as well is just engage with your customers. Mm. And you can embrace technology to engage with the customers. You, you can have forums. You can have interest groups. You can have a Facebook group. You can have a Instagram this and Instagram that where you can go. What do you think of what we've done? You know, what, how could yeah. we make it better? You can, you know, don't be afraid to ask your customers and don't be afraid to ask them publicly because yeah. from a retention rate and the same with TripAdvisor as well, when people talk about that is if somebody gives you a bad review or gives you a comment going, I think you should do this. If you react in a positive way and go, do you know what? That's a really good idea. Or let's talk about it. Or let's ask others. What do others think? Who are our customers? People go, yeah. wow, you genuinely invest in us as customers. Yeah, that's great. And when people have a complaint, they do tend to take to social media. And when a company doesn't reply, oh, then they just jump on and continue the the social media slam of that company. So yeah, you really need to pay attention to what's going on toward yeah, you on social media. And oh, totally. And I think you, you, you really brought up a great, a great um, point there because again, customers are customers. So, you know, a complaint is a complaint, but if you want to retain yeah. that customer, if you can sort it out, they'll stay as a customer. And the other one as well about social media today, where, you know, talking this whole digital age, is sometimes the people monitoring the social media might be an outsourcer. And you know, one of our businesses is, is outsourced, so we understand it. But sometimes the outsourcer may not have been trained well enough. Mm. And sometimes they have, even have an automatic response oh, to something. And it's right. like, you haven't read what was said. So that's where you lose customers as well. It's yeah. customer services is much about retention as new sales. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at... Well, you need to seek out or seek out articles about best practices and social media customer service. And I don't have any off the top of my head, but well, just one in general, and I don't know about their customer service, but their Wendy's is certainly funny and they're retaining customers just with their brand personality and, and voice. And I know there's some out there who are really good at handling complaints and, and responding as you were suggesting that we do so and and with with that and i'll go back to my my call center and contact center dates you know it is customer service sales you know th there can be a real good link between the two you know you mm -hmm. can if somebody's coming in and they want to complain if you've got a really good person who can sort it out funny enough you can actually even start to upsell them you know yeah. they're like oh you've sorted it out and oh i didn't know we've got this so yeah. you know, always look at you know how, how can you win it back round and, and actually get some revenue out of it and yeah. along to you know that lifetime value of a customer yeah very true i've certainly recommended companies who have resolved problems that i have and i'm like oh well i had a problem i was thinking about leaving them forever but they fixed it so yeah i'll stick around <laughs> did a complete 180 and yeah so awesome and it, and it doesn't matter if you're a small company or a big company you know mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter you know social media or just word of mouth in a local area will get mm -hmm. you more business retain more business or lose business overnight it's, it's yeah as simple as that. very true 
So what tips do you have then that listeners can implement to help them retain customers then? Understand your customer and reach out to them, as, as I was saying. And it's, and it's reaching out to customers to help them to look at how can we improve our service? Mm-hmm. How can we improve our product? And what would you like us to do in the future? That mm-hmm. kind of engagement on that kind of personal level makes such a difference. And you can run it in a, in a sales environment as well, where you can send out those kind of things. I'm not a big one about gimmicks, about if you fill this in, we'll give you something. It's like, no, don't incentivize somebody to, to give you advice. Because, yeah. you know, in a way that, that's, that's false. Just get them to genuinely do that. So, so reach out and, and make them feel part of the whole company and the journey. Mm. And that, that, that whole connection. And again, it doesn't matter if you're selling engine oil or you're selling a mobile phone or you're a huge conglomerate. It doesn't matter. You should be reaching out to, to at the end of the day, they're your stakeholders. Because without mm. customers, you've got no business. So, so that's right. very much number one. Number two is, is from a marketing perspective, make sure you're on the channels they're going to be on. Make sure mm-hmm. from that omni-channel approach is, and, and you, you, Kelly, would have seen it far more than me, but in the last two years, people have changed, you know, with Facebook buying out WhatsApp, you know, more people now from a customer perspective are using WhatsApp for business. You know, they're, they're using WhatsApp. They're not using email. They're not using social media. Message. They're like, I'm on WhatsApp. So you've got to be on it. So from a retention, you really need to make sure large business or small business, make sure you're on the channels your customers are going to be on and you can actually re- react and respond positively to, to that. The other side as, as well is make sure you've got a real clear strategy of that lifetime value journey. So within that, with a customer buying X, what else could they buy? Not just from you. Could you look at any cross-sale opportunities with any partners so that you can still engage? And I think that's that's another area. So you could be um, a retailer that's selling food. So it could be selling packs of food that's delivered you know, overnight. You could easily do an affiliate um, partnership with a, a flower delivery company or a food delivery company selling that would be selling vegetables and it comes in boxes. So you could think about, I've got one thing, but I know my customers would be buying something else. Can I do a complimentary service with a partner that they go, oh, I get an introductory offer. I get this. I get that. Just Just other ways that your customer can see that you're thinking of them with other offers even if you haven't. And that's where I look at that lifetime value. You can look at other revenue sources that you don't need to buy more stock or anything else. You can reach out to others and do some really good partnerships. That's brilliant. So with solo entrepreneurs or service-based entrepreneurs, maybe you're a business coach and you partner up with a social media manager, something like that. Uh, Absolutely. Or you partner up with an accountant. And, yeah. and even from a, a retailer, you know, even from a, 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 a say, a grocery store or something, they could still partner with somebody else locally. And, and I've seen those kind of initiatives work. And then obviously, you, you, of course, from the digital platform and bigger, you can do bigger and better things. But even somebody with a very small business can actually be really creative and, and go, oh, I could offer my customer that. And actually, that person you're partnering with can offer your service as well. So, so everybody yeah. can win. Yeah, that's brilliant. Love that. 
Well, thank you so much. Is there anything you want to add that I didn't ask you about? I mean, I've I've loved being on, and it's I I, I love speaking to my friends in in the states. It's it's always really refreshing because in in the U.S. versus the U.K. and parts of Europe, sales is seen as a bit of a dirty word, and marketing yes. seems it's like if you're not really very clever at this, why don't you just go and do sales? Because that's the thing. Whereas in the in the U.S., you know, sales is is the thing, and you know that's why I love I love reaching out and, and talking to great friends in in the states. But I think that the one thing that I would say is we we've spoken a lot about retention. But when you're actually selling in the acquisition world, the one thing I would just think and say to people is think about is when you're pulling that customer in, what are you going to do with them next to keep them? That's just probably the one thing I would I would add to what we've, we've spoken today. But I've I've really loved speaking with you today and just sharing that knowledge. But again, you know, sort of kindred spirit, you know, we're, you're, we're both coming from a sales and marketing background. And it's just mm-hmm. great to share those ideas where people go. I've heard that before. Do you know what? Yep. 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 I'm going to keep listening because it makes a difference. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We need to hear it many times before it finally seeps in and really sticks. So you have your own podcast as well. The Phil Coley podcast. Will you tell us a little about that? Do. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I've got, um, so we've really practiced what we we preach. So we've had our outsource sales and marketing outsource company now for ten years. So we're ten years old with that this year, which is which is amazing. And the whole thing about personal brand has has come about. And I'm like, personal brand has been around since the year dot, but it's now a thing. And so I said to my team, I said, "Come on!" And we had this just before COVID. So three years ago, we had this conversation, and then the last six months, I said going out with the Phil Coley brand. So we are called Business Plus Group, which is our overarching um, company name. But I've said, we'll just go out with my brand. And everyone's like, yeah, let's do it. So yeah, so I've got a podcast that's just launching. um, And actually on my website now, you can go onto the website. And I love sharing this story in the States. You can go on my website, which is phil-coley.com. The reason there's a hyphen is because in the US, you've got an amazing country and Western singer called Phil Coley. And he's got philcoley.com. So I, I couldn't buy it. I was like, yeah, I can't buy it. So yeah, so 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 that other Phil Coley has got that. But for me, I, I've really got the model where you can come on there. I've got free courses, free sales training, and there's no signups because I just say to people, go and help yourself. No signups. Wow. No. And and so yeah, right on your is it your homepage? You've got a couple of books that people yep. can download. Yeah, eBooks. Yep. yep, you can download. You e-books don't have to sign them. up. Nope. Nope. I know. <laughs> You're amazing. I'll tell you the reason I do that is I work on the assumption and I hear it from clients and hear it from people I work with is why do I want them to sign up? Because if the content I give them is great, they're going to go, I want to work with you. If I try to tie them in with an email, they know they're going to get another email from me and they may not be ready. So I've decided to do a bit of disruptive marketing and Mm -hmm. go, I'm not going to do what everybody else does. Everyone is sick and tired of lead funnels. Come and help yourself. Enjoy it. Listen to the podcast. Come and listen to my videos. There's loads of free courses. You can just watch them any time of night. Just press them. They play. You can learn. Because if you learn and it makes a difference, you're going to want more from me. And then you'll reach out. Wow. I love that. Oh, my gosh. Maybe I will try that with one of mine. (laughs) Just see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Would be. Oh my goodness. Change up the whole model. 
<laughs> then I'd have to take down one of my podcasts about why you need a lead magnet. <laughs> it would still be a lead magnet. It just wouldn't get people on your list. Exactly. It's still a lead magnet because they'll come yeah. back. Yeah, they'll come yeah. back. You, you just have to put your email address, your website, um, and you know all your contact information right on the download, which you should do anyway. But yeah, have to make doubly sure it's there. All right. So yeah, you already gave your uh, website, phil-coley.com. And um, so how could people work with you? People tend to work with me. They, they come in and again, from, from what I give, I give my seven steps um, program. So my seven stale steps, I give that program away and I run a course every month. Um, people come on it. And then from that, then people then start to work with me on a one-to-one basis. And they can work, you know, once a week, once a month, once a fortnight, whatever they want to do, they can they can come in. And from that sales coaching side, and again, from my sports background, my aim with anybody working with me is to get them through with me as quickly as possible. And people go, mm. what do you mean by that? And I go, well, if I'm a really good sales coach, I'm going to see the two or three things they need to do, get them to do it, and it's going to make a difference. And then they might come back in the future for something else. So, yeah, people can work with me on a one-to-one basis. They can also come in on our group program as well that I run every month. And then also then people can work as well alongside my amazing team that we can look at their social media, their personal brand, their websites, their LinkedIn, their messaging and telemarketing. So they can come in that way. So first one is head to the site and just take part in one of my courses. Wow. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, being so generous and everything you shared and being so generous on your website with way people, ways people can work with you. I really love it. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, I, I love listening to your podcast, but it's really great. I'm really proud to be to be featured on it. So no, really excited. Oh. So thank you again for that. Oh, thank you. All right. And thank you all for being here today and listening. You can leave uh, comments on this episode's page on my website, and I will put Phil's information in the show notes and on this episode's page on my website, link to that in the show notes. And I'll be back in a few days. So I'll see you then on the Marketing Chat Podcast. 